0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air, I'm Don Marsh. Today we take a look at the natural world around us that many of us never really get a chance to see. The world is oftentimes hiding in plain sight in our parks, backyards, and woodlands. Joining me in studio to shine a light on this world is our old friend Mark Glenshaw. He's the owl guy, the so-called owl prowler. He's been on the program before talking about the owl society he's been stalking in Forest Park. Also with us is Danny Brown. He's a retired biologist and wildlife photographer who was with the Missouri Department of Conservation for some 23 years. Gentlemen, welcome. Great to have you.
1: Great to be back. Nice to be here,
0: Don. Saturday, I'm told, and it caught me by surprise, was National Bird Day. Mm. Did you know that, Mark? I did
1: know that. Okay.
0: Well, then we're going to start by talking about birds, specifically owls. Bring us up to date on that society you've been tracking.
1: I'd be more than happy to. In the last year, we've had a very exciting year. When I was here last time in January 2018, the owls had been nesting for a few weeks. And unfortunately, that nesting was unsuccessful. But they did not give up. They started a whole second round of mating, which is something in all my research I've never read about. And they began to nest a second time. But unfortunately, that nesting was unsuccessful, too. Now, this year, they've been mating since December 20th. And they began to nest on Thursday, last Thursday. And unfortunately, Samantha, the female, has been out of the nest Saturday and Sunday. So I'm really hoping that she resumes nesting very soon. So that's where we are today.
0: All right, Samantha is gone for the time being. And and remind us about Charles, because um, not everyone's heard the many times you've been on this program. Charles is the is the ringleader of this pack, right?
1: Indeed, he is the male I've been studying now for over 13 years. I just celebrated my anniversary on the 29th of December. And he is just an amazing great horned owl. And Samantha is now the third mate I've seen Charles with uh, over this time.
0: All right, well, we'll get back to that group and some other things in just a minute. Danny, are you into the bird world as well? I know you you, you shoot anything that uh, moves pretty much, don't you?
2: Uh, yes, I do, I do a lot of bird photography, but I, I, the way you put it, I shoot everything that moves is, is usually what I tell people when they ask me what I'm out there doing. They see me in my camouflage and my big camera lens walking around and they're like, what are you shooting? I'm like, I'm shooting anything that moves. And except people. I generally don't shoot people too much. (laughs) I I saw a picture on Twitter today, one of yours, of a mink that was shot
0: in Forest Park. That's correct. Uh, That surprised the heck out of me.
2: Yeah, it was probably 10 years ago before I even met Mark. I I was in Forest Park looking for wood ducks, one of our most beautiful, probably our most beautiful duck that you'd see in Missouri, uh, depending on your taste, if they go to the subtle or to the more flamboyant. Uh, but anyways, I was looking for wood ducks and I, I had found one and, and I was sitting in the brush, had gotten there really early and, and all of a sudden I saw a mink popped out uh, and, and just kind of stood on a rock there along the waterway down near the Muni, the lower parking lot of the Muni. And so the next day I came back about an hour before daylight and really cameled up and hid down in the, uh, in the heavy weeds. I took a looser lens because my lens was way too big because the mink was so close. And sure enough, the mink came out again, and then I spent probably the next three years uh, going down there and photographing the minks and their babies and had the babies run across my feet a couple times when Mm. I was sitting down there. And uh, I just uh, became almost... uh, the, like the mink whisperer for the next three years. And, and
0: you, you were surprised, I guess, to find a mink. I
2: was very surprised. that Nobody had ever told me to look for minks or watch for minks, and they said, look for wood ducks. But when I saw the mink, I the whole game changed then.
0: So. We were talking, Mark, uh, before going on the air about <clears throat> things hiding in plain sight, and I guess the the trick is knowing what to look for. What are some of the things that we can do as we're wandering through our parks and woodlands and even our backyards to, to uh, discover some of the things that live there that we don't know about? One of
1: the best things, in addition to looking, is listening, I find. And you may not always know what you're hearing, but as you start to learn not only the calls of individual animals, but calls of other animals that will help you find even other animals. So for instance, in the summer, the owls are incredibly well camouflaged and hard to find uh, all year round, but especially in the summer. And one of the things that's incredibly helpful to me to find the owls is listening to the warning calls of other animals. That can be cooper's hawks down to tufted titmice to eastern gray squirrels. And knowing that, hey, this call means that there's a threat nearby helps me find them. So listening is really, really helpful.
0: Is there some place a person can go to uh, learn what some of these sounds are? I mean, I have no idea what a tufted titmouse is going to sound like.
1: Yes. Uh, with uh, online resources, there are many places you can go. And of course, traditional resources as well. I'm a big advocate of public libraries. And libraries have many good books, not only on birds, but other animals, and often will include CDs in those books that have those calls, and tons of different apps online that you can use as well as websites online.
0: Danny, is this technique you use as well to uh, familiarize
2: yourself with these areas? Well, uh, it's, my hearing is not as, as good as a lot of the birding friends that I uh, run around with sometimes, so I really focus on uh, visualizations when I'm out birding uh, to the chagrin of other birders because they are really focused on, uh, on listening. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, another resource would just be uh, join in on uh, the beginner bird walks with Mark at Forest Park because that's where you're really you. going to learn how what a titmouse call or, a, or a, a black-capped chickadee or anything else, uh, what kind of sounds they're making. But I, I am aware of uh, most of the different bird sounds, but I just can't hear a lot of them, especially the warblers that migrate through here in the spring. But if it's a hawk or a blue – or well, blue jay, of course, would – not be a good example, but a lot of the, the titmouse and other little birdies like that, uh, I can hear them pretty well, but I have a tough time.
0: Just Let's just digress for a minute here and learn more about these walks of yours, Mark. Please. Uh, <clears throat> how can people get involved, and, and what are you doing?
1: This is uh, something that I've been part of in uh, two different ways for a number of years now. This is the Force Park. Beginner Birder Walk. And it's a joint St. Louis Audubon Society and Forest Park Forever initiative. And it's been going on for at least 15 years. And I've had the uh, honor the last several years to be one of the co-leaders. It's the first Saturday of every month, unless that Saturday falls near a holiday. And we usually meet at the visitor center right there in Forest Park uh, at 8.15. And then we kind of head out at 8.30 for two hours and we see what we can see. And it's a blast. We we had over 40 people on Saturday. You,
0: you've you got a website where people can uh, explore? A that bit more. you can find on the Forest
1: Park Forever website, forestparkforever.org.
0: We will put a link to that on our website at uh, stopublicradio.org. I'd like to invite our listeners into this conversation. If folks have spotted something they don't think they know what it is or have some stories to tell about uh, animals that they've seen uh, out about, uh, give us a call at 382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org or send us a tweet at STL on air. Danny, I want to come back to your technique. Um, Do you just go out into an area in which you're interested and just Plant yourself and wait for something to happen, or do you thrash around looking for
2: things? Yeah, it's it's kind of like you said the first the first time there. I I come to an area and I usually get there about 45 minutes to an hour before daylight. Uh, it's just like hunting if you're hunting deer, or turkey, or anything like that. Uh, you can't just walk out and photograph an animal. So very hard to go photograph <laughs> a raccoon or a mink or a kingfisher or anything. You you need to scout out and figure out where that kingfisher is going to be where what his favorite perch is where it lands to eat its little minnow and then the next day and maybe the next week in a row the next five days or seven days you need to be uh Pretty camouflage, so I'm that kind of weird guy that's walking around in the park with the camouflage on. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm there way before daylight uh, and hide hide in the prairie grass. I've got a lot of nice uh, native plantings in our parks in St. Louis, and I'll hide deep in the grass and just sit there, maybe take a little nap and wait until the sun starts coming up. And pretty soon uh, that kingfisher is going to land on his little perch with his breakfast, and I'm going to be sitting there with a 500-millimeter lens aimed right at that perch. And that's how I get those shots. You know, I
0: should point out that you were nice enough to bring a calendar from the uh, Department of Conservation calendar for 2019. You have a number of shots in there, including one with three deer, which are look like they're practically uh, going to lick the lens of your camera there. Just right. tell me something about taking a shot like
2: that. Okay, so that, would be that was at Shaw Nature Reserve, and I would have uh, got out of bed at about 4 o'clock in the morning and uh, got ready, uh, took a piece of toast or something, and then headed over to Shaw's about six miles from my house and uh, walked about uh, two miles back on a trail with a flashlight in the, in, in the dark and uh, put myself back against an oak tree and uh, cover myself up with what we duck hunters call cut-leaf camouflage. So it's just uh, kind of like military camouflage. And I sit, sit there probably for about an hour and a half Uh, about 30 minutes after sunset then those three bucks came out stopped on the trail uh, from where i had just come a couple hours earlier and they don't know what's going on with they don't know i'm there but they know something's going on something's different Mm -hmm. and then they lined up uh, perfectly in a row and stared right at the camera and that's how i got that shot
0: Mark, patience is really a virtue when it comes to the things you guys are doing, isn't
1: it? Very much so. (laughs) I'm sitting here happily listening to Danny. Anytime Danny opens his mouth about anything about wildlife, I'm always ears and mind wide open. (laughs) And I'm sitting here and I'm nodding because, oh, yes, this is a different version of exactly what I do. A tip I often give to people about finding the owls in Forest Park is to look for me. I'm not as well camouflaged. As the owls, but I'm still a little easier to find than the owls. So this is exactly what you have to do. You have to be very patient, and you just have to spend the time.
0: You know, we've talked many times before, and all the time I've spent in Forest Park, which is a considerable amount of time, I've never seen an owl. And you won't (laughs) tell me where the darn things are.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what I'll tell your (laughs) your listeners and everyone else. I have the same conversation. I'm not from Missouri. Uh, Danny is a proud native. Um, but I've happily embraced the ethos and the spirit of the show-me state. If you show me you're serious and you want to come out on a tour called an owl prowl, I will show you chapter and verse of the owls.
0: And folks can get information on that at the same source that we mentioned before? The uh, that they one. can find. Uh, they
1: can email me via my website, forestparkowls.blogspot.com. Okay. We will put
0: uh, put all of that in our website as well. We have a, a caller who wants to talk about owls. Let's bring him in before the break. Uh, Chris? Uh, go ahead. You're on the air.
3: Yeah. Hi, I am a runner and I run, uh, in the early morning, usually between five and 6 AM in the Shaw neighborhood and on successive Octobers, not this past 2018, but I would say 2017, 2016, uh, early October, I was attacked by an owl while running the first time he drew blood on my head. The second time he only swooped down for me. Um, but in 2018, certainly an owl came down and checked me out, um, but didn't attack me. And knowing or having heard that they're such good hunters and, and, and they see so well, I was really shocked that it would come after me. And it always seemed to be, like I said, the beginning of October. And so certainly I'm, I'm much more aware and cautious now at those times of the year. Good. But uh, wondered... Uh, perhaps what was going on.
0: Were you wearing a fur hat by any chance? That's what
2: I was wondering. Yeah. First okay. question, no, did first you have a coonskin cap
3: on? <laughs> I was wearing an ear wrap one time, so uh, so the hair on the top of my head was sticking up. You mm. know, it was just... Uh, but the second time, I was wearing a red Cardinals cap, uh, red, you know, stocking cap. and uh, <laughs> Maybe uh, he's a Cubs fan, but nonetheless. There you, you know. go. <laughs> well, Chris, I, may,
1: I may need to uh, jog your memory because I am 99% certain that you have emailed me about this, and we have, I have in fact. Yeah. Good, good. <laughs> um, well, I'll, I'll I'll share it with everyone. What you were probably uh, enduring was uh, either a very high, strong, uh, short-tempered individual, or a young owl getting ready to leave its parents' territory, or in the midst of finding its own. Uh, territory, still learning the ways of the world, what's food, what's not food. The other possibility is that owls store food. It's called caching and you may have been unknowingly too close to a cache. They will defend caches very seriously. Uh, Caching is an inbred instinctive uh, behavior and if you're too close to a cache, watch out.
0: Thank you so much uh, for the call, Chris. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have to take a break. Let's do that now. Come back and continue the conversation. We're talking with Danny Brown and Mark Lenshaw. These uh, two gentlemen are out in the wild taking pictures of the wee beasties out there and also the owls in Forest Park. That's uh, Mark's specialty. Back in a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on
1: the Air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University offering world-class education within
0: reach. Welcome back to our conversation about urban animal life. Uh, Danny, uh, do you work with Mark at all? I mean, do you collaborate uh, on his walks and your photography?
2: Uh, We don't really collaborate uh, on the walks and and really with my photography, but we happen to be uh, collaborating right now on a new project. I'm currently working on a uh, feature story for Missouri Conservationist magazine about the raptors of St. Louis parks in St. Louis City. Still trying to think of a name for it. And, and part of that story, especially the intro, is going to involve uh, how I met Mark and and the work that he does with the owls in Forest Park. Is that a story we want to hear? I think it would be <laughs> Sure. A- <laughs> he loves to so, tell it. I love to hear so it. it so was, it was probably a decade ago, and I, uh, a 2010? colleague of mine told me that uh, it, there was a nest, an owl nest, a uh, great horned owl nest in Forest Park. And I had been going to the park to photograph the ducks and mammals and things like that. So... He gave me a general idea where it was, so I, I went to the park in the afternoon, didn't take my camera. It was late afternoon, and I started wandering around the park, and and I couldn't find the nest, and I kept looking and looking, and and, and and finally I decided I was going to start heading back to my car. So I was cutting through a valley, and I could see my car up on the hill, and I stopped, and I looked up, and I was standing right under the nest, and there are three Little owls, three baby owls staring down out of the nest, straight down at me. And I thought, wow, I found the nest. Okay, I'm proud of myself. And just within a few seconds, Mark appears. I'd never seen him in my life. He appears and <laughs> says, Can I help you? <laughs> and I was honestly, I was a little taken aback. Uh, well, I don't know, can you? Yeah. And he started describing, telling me who he was, an amateur naturalist, and he followed the owls and, 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 and keeps track of them and, and makes sure that nobody's too close to them. And and so we talked for a while, and I told him I was going to drive back home to Union, Missouri to get my camera and then come back, about a two-hour round trip. So I left and, and uh, got back there almost two hours later, and Mark was still standing there, and he said... Uh, while you were gone, I checked your bona fides. I called a few people, and and you checked out. And and so I said, well, thank you. I'm glad I checked out. And then from that point on, we became long, long friends, and uh, he still comes to my house, and we break bread together all the time, and it's it's been a fun adventure.
1: Oh, amazing. It's a – I love Danny's – I I don't even want to say version. I love Danny's story. It is the story. And – I was immediately impressed. He said, oh, I'm going to go back and get my camera. I thought, oh, he lives within the immediate, you know, sort of 5, 10-mile radius. He drove all the way back to Union. As he just said, that's a two-hour round trip. I thought, okay, this guy's really serious. Let me check him out. And sure enough, oh, yes, I've read his work. I've seen his work. This guy is incredible. Wow! What an honor, <laughs> and just to meet him—never mind to become friends with him.
0: You're very protective of uh, of these uh, critters, aren't you?
1: Indeed, and they are federally and state protected as well. And it's these one of the things that both Danny and I really try to keep in mind as we do our work is that we are in the animals' homes, and we want to be good neighbors,
0: yeah, good right. guests. That, yeah. that makes makes a lot of sense. Let's uh, let's take another call. Dan and Clayton will join us. Uh, with uh, some discussion about Tower Grove East, go ahead, Dan.
4: Hi. So uh, I raised rabbits in, uh, well, raised rabbits in Tower Grove East, and one night I came out to check on my rabbits, and they were all standing like still as a rock, and I couldn't, I, didn't, I knew something was up, I didn't know what it was, and this is just over in Tower Grove East, and uh, so I walk around for a little bit, and all of a sudden. I mean, this thing—I've seen hawks in the wild. I've seen big birds, but this is the big. This owl was the biggest bird I've ever seen in person. <laughs> About five foot from me, and I did not see it. It was just right there, perched in the tree above their little enclosure, and it scared the heck out of me because I—I I just couldn't believe that I didn't see something so big. And all the rabbits were just on complete edge and. <laughs> Uh, that, that's my owl
1: story. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. And and you did a key thing there. You observed the behavior of one animal, and that led you to see this other animal because they're all interacting and reacting to each other. And in terms of walking right past them, welcome to our world. This is This happens all the time where we're looking for something and we walk right past it.
0: And those owls could take a rabbit in a heartbeat, couldn't they? Oh, oh. It's, uh,
1: as I often say, for, for great horned owls, rabbits are kind of like chicken. It's a lot of bang for your buck. No.
0: It's something to uh, for people to remember walking in the park with their small dogs, by the way, that uh, you, you have to be alert to these things.
1: Very true. Uh, I've given many warnings to people with small dogs off-leash that, A, your dog needs to be on a leash. It's a law-enforced park in most parks. And, B, there are animals here that can literally eat kill and eat your dog. Yeah.
0: Danny, have you had any close calls in, in uh, setting up to, uh, for photographs?
2: Uh, yeah, I've had uh, all kinds of close calls. Nothing dangerous, but I've had skunks come up and uh, sniff That's my bag enough. and sniff my feet, which is probably the scariest thing that ever happens to Wrong. me is when I'm approached by skunks. That would be terrible Because I'm so buried in my equipment that I can't really move to get away. And and I've had the... Um, but. Uh, raccoons come up and do the same thing sniffing around me but the, probably the worst one or the f- weirdest one was I was uh, on the end of a wing dike on the Mississippi River uh, and I had both feet in the water uh, rubber boots in the water sitting there uh, getting ready to photograph ducks it was just before daylight and all of a sudden apparently I was sitting on a spot where an otter always sits mm-hmm. and this big river otter come emerge just Plunged from the water straight up and landed basically oh, wow. in my lap.
0: <laughs> oh man. And I
2: could smell fish. And it, it was just amazing. And he just went <sighs> and did, like, did a back dive backwards back in the water. Because I apparently was sitting in the same spot where he jumped out of the water and landed like all day long every right. day. What's Jeez. the most exotic animal you've
0: uh, ever photographed?
2: Uh, I don't really do exotic animals. I try to focus on Missouri animals, uh, but uh, I have done some traveling just to see uh, like owls that I don't typically see in Missouri, like the saw-wet owl, and I I drove up to Iowa to do that. But uh, uh, I go out to Colorado every year and photograph uh, pika and things like that that are kind of exotic to a Missouri boy like me, but I I, I don't do too many uh, strange tropical things or anything like that.
0: We have an email here from a, a listener, Joe. It says, I'm a regular at Forest Park, one of the best spots for nature photography in the area because of the concentrated green space in the midst of the city. I've seen turkey, muskrats, and dozens, perhaps over 100 species of wild birds over the years, including warbles, swallows, egrets, herons, owls, hawks, and eagles. In fact, just yesterday, I got shots of a bald eagle fishing in the Grand Basin. That's, that's right. Uh, that, that's your home turf, basically, and yours too. Oh, yeah. very much yeah, so.
1: Yeah. No, he i I really can't I can't even add anything to that. He described it perfectly, and I'm so glad he's getting such enjoyment out of that
0: have out, have the uh <clears throat> the uh, populations of these animals changed over the years in terms of urban sprawl and traffic and busier people and people walking with their devices, radios and what have you you know disrupting I, their habitat
1: I think it, it's a there's a growing field of urban ecology, or urban wildlife study. And a lot of the work is finding that people are seeing more wildlife in urban areas, that animals are getting more adapted to urban areas, but also as we continue to grow out and go into areas that were rural or semi-rural or not developed at all, there's just fewer spaces for those animals mm-hmm. so it's this interesting push pull.
2: And if I might add uh, the over the last decade uh, they have really started to do these native plantings and burn and they burned the prairies that they plant in these parks mm-hmm. and so the diversity of uh, vegetation has really taken off in Forest Park and Tower Grove Park they're mm-hmm. even burning over there and so you'll get my mo- I'll go to a place like in Tower Grove Park uh, where I'll see maybe six or 700 monarchs in one spot. and So I didn't see that a decade ago. I just
0: saw in the uh, paper recently, the monarch population has really been reduced. Most recently, they're concerned about. I mean, I, obviously over the years they've been concerned, but this past year or so, it's been a problem. We have uh, another email from uh, the listener Danny, who says, do you, uh, Danny, have a special dispensation to enter before the gates open at uh, seven o'clock at the Shaw uh, a nature reserve for instance you have to have special right. credentials
2: y- yes the answer to that question would be yes well, it's <laughs> hard to get uh, yes uh, it is and and I've had a long time agreement with them probably for seven or eight years now I work with them for on their publications and educational materials with mobot and Shaw nature reserves so I, I, I need that dispensation to be able to do that right. um,
0: we're gonna take a quick call now as time winds down Barb in South City go ahead it's your turn
4: Don, uh, I want to say that I've had the good fortune of knowing both Mark and Danny through the years and want to publicly acknowledge just the impact they've had on my life, my enjoyment and knowledge of all critters, as Danny would say. And I just admire them both for their willingness uh, to share their knowledge and passion with anyone interested. And uh, through Mark's blog and also hopefully Danny will mention his uh, Nature Frames post, which is so informative. Um, so they're just two of the best.
0: you are far too good Go ahead and mention that uh, Uh, Yes, I
2: do have a blog I've had for about uh, 8 years or so, 7 or 8 years called Nature Frames and basically uh, I've written many many uh, stories about my uh, photographing animals for Missouri conservationists, uh, over 50 now and most of those stories come from my blog. And it's if you just Google nature frames, that's the best way to get to it. And every time I go out, if I see something interesting, I'll tell a little story about it and there'll be uh, images of, for that animal. Only have it's pretty minute,
0: fun. only have a minute left. She hits a point that I think is important that get you both to respond quickly. And that is it's not just for yourself, education really is a part of what you're all about. Exactly. Very
1: much so. There's so many aspects to it. And a big part of it is collaboration and education. As I mentioned earlier, just Danny talks, I listen, and hopefully I can share a few gems with him as well. You never stop learning when you study wildlife. And it's practice makes better, not perfect.
2: I, I totally agree. We, that's what makes wakes, makes us get up in the morning is that we share all this with other people through but, our blogs and our yep. publications.
0: And now that you're retired, Danny, you have a lot more time to do that sort of thing. I,
2: I say I'm free to do whatever <clears throat> I want any old time.
0: Good for you. That's Danny Brown. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, keep up the good work. I know you're having fun. You look great. I am. Mark Linshaw, good to see you again, and thanks for filling us in.
1: Always a pleasure, Don. Thank you for having me back. Thank, Thank you. All right.